The worship team here is awesome. Christian rock. I just hope I don't blow it now. It was so good. Can I lower these? Is it okay? Good morning, everybody. I'm Gio Garces. Uh, I get the privilege of speaking with you this morning. If you weren't here last week, we did. We started on this endeavor of the, the really the life of David, the story of David, one of King's most famous, famous of all kings. He wasn't the first king, but yet he was the most famous king. And he was famous not because of his, his incredible military prowess. He was famous because of where he chose to put his hope. And he chose to put his hope in God. He chose to put his trust in God because people place their hope in what and who they depend on. That was kind of the, the idea of last week's lesson. And because of that, David had this incredible clarity, this extraordinary clarity to see things the way God saw them. And we see David face Goliath, and instead of being scared and frightened, being only 15 years old, he can't even drive. He looks at Goliath and is offended. And he has a different perspective. And he views it so differently than the men of Israel who were veterans of war. He views it so differently. And he goes on, and earlier you hear about he rescued his, his lambs from lions and bears and tigers. Oh, my. I mean, he was just amazing. And the main, other main character of David's life was a man named Saul. In fact, he was king. He was the first king of Israel. And I, I want to talk about him this morning because him and David have a lot of interaction in the Bible. In fact, it's a detailed account of two different kings with two different tales, with two different outcomes. And it's important for us as we learn to be people of faith that we can learn from these stories in the Bible because that's why they're there. They're there for us to learn these incredible stories and we can find ourselves in the story. And when you find that, you're going, well, that's me. And so both of them, both David and Saul, both had to face Goliath. And they both had different responses to Goliath. Does that make sense? So ancient warfare, you got to understand the times that these guys were born into. It was a violent time. It wasn't 2017 living in Simi Valley where you see the sign was to slow down and relax as you enter off Madeira going to Costco. It is a violent culture. It is a culture where men are raised to, with, the, with the expectation that you one day will serve this community and some of you will be on the shield wall. And in shield warfare, it's up close. It's not like today's warfare where it's from a distance, you can fire a rocket. And that time, ancient warfare was up close. And it was brutal. And it was eye to eye. And you could smell what this guy had for breakfast. And you could smell if you had, had drunk enough to give him the courage to fight. And once in a while, you see a guy that had no reaction. And that guy was the scary guy. And you might have met him here at church, but don't worry, we're working on him. <laughs> and that guy is a veteran. He has killed men, and it does not bother him anymore. And so these, this was the kind of environment 
This was the kind of the culture of those days. You wanted, you wanted land, you had to go take it. And God had promised the Israelites this incredible land, and they had to go take it by force. And there are people living there that were corrupt, and they were just so dark that God says, I want you to remove all of them from the land. And they got there, and they settled there, but they didn't clear out everybody. People stuck around. They lost, their, they lost that intensity to keep it up, and they let up the paddle, off the paddle, and certain areas, there were people that fought against Israel for years to come. So we're going to look at, not David this morning, but we're going to look at Saul this morning and contrast Saul and David, because you heard about David last week. What was the difference? What was the difference between Saul and David? Both were military men. Both were veterans. And so to understand Saul, we got to take a little bit of a step back a little bit, understand where he came out of. In the very beginning of, with Abraham, the great man of faith that we all can, can go to and say, wow, that was, that was where this, it started for us. He had a son named Isaac. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became eventually the 12 tribes of Israel. And the tribe of Benjamin, in verse 1 it says, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, and the son of Aphia of Benjamin. And Benjamin was, in, in Jacob's uh, line, he was the last, he was the baby, little baby, baby, baby brother. And you see on the map there, it's one of the smallest tribes. But that tribe was known for warriors. They were, they were known for having men of valor. It was a very prestigious tribe to be a part of. In fact, there were some very famous Benjamites in biblical history. Let me give you a few. There was a guy named Ehud, and he was, he was one of the judges of his tribe, and, and the Israelites people were being oppressed by the Moabites, and God says, go deal with the king Eglon and go kill him. So he straps the sword under his robe. He goes to the king's palace, meets with the king. I have to tell you something in secret. He goes, okay, what is it? You know, I'm going to make it. And he stabs him. He sunk the sword so deep into him that the, you couldn't see the sword anymore because he was a heavy man. And then he just bailed out the window, special forces into the, into the night. Gone. A daring mission. A bold attitude. These were the exploits of the men of Benjamin. And then there was another guy. His name was Mordecai. When Israel was in exile in Persia under the king of Persia, there was a guy in the Persian court that wanted to eradicate all the Israelites. And Mordecai had a, had a niece, and her name was Esther. And Mordecai influenced Esther. you got to talk to the king. you gotta, you got to save your people. And Esther was waffling. I'm not sure. He's like, you have to do it. She does it. And the people of God were saved. And then if you go fast forward into the New Testament, one of the greatest missionaries in the Bible was Paul the Apostle. He, too, was from the tribe of Benjamin. It's rich history. Don't you love that? Rich. What tribe are you from? You can make a tribe. You can have a spiritual tribe. You know, as we, as we go along, just to learn a little bit more about Saul, we're going to just kind of unpack some events that led up to his moment with Goliath. Because sometimes when you face your Goliath and you, and you stutter and you falter, 
There are things that happen before that that can explain why we falter sometimes when we face our Goliaths. So in verse 2, Kish had a son named Saul. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. He was tall, he was dark, and he was handsome. I'm short, and I'm dark, and I'm pretty ugly at times. That was my life growing up. Well, you know, I, I was the dark one of the family. If you're in the Latin community and you're dark, it's not a good thing. I mean, people, are, people, people will praise my, my skin color now because, oh, I wish I was tan. I said, no, no, you didn't want my skin color growing up. It was not a good thing. But for Saul, he was impressive. In fact, the, 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 the writing here is that he was a military man. He was brave. The Bible says there was no equal to him. He was amazing, impressive. And so Saul gets anointed to become the king of Israel because the people wanted to be like the other nations, and they wanted a king. And both Samuel was warning them, no, this is what they got. You know, Saul's name literally means, is the word asked, A-S-K-E-D, asked. I asked. That's his name. They asked, he got. They got Saul. That's literally what it means. It's interesting God's humor in all this. Since you asked, you get asked. And he picked Saul. And so Saul is amazing because he was, just like David, he too had victories early on. There was a situation where there was this Ammonite king named Nahash, and he went over to this area in Gibeah, and he, was, and he went to the people, the Israelites there, and he's like, he surrounded them. And they were like, hey, hey, let's make peace. Let's make peace. He's like, okay, I'll make peace. But I want every one of your citizens to gouge out your right eye. And then I'll make peace. And Saul just got anointed king. And they were still kind of tribal. They were still kind of, you know, city-state, so to speak. And when Saul heard about this, he was enraged, and the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit. And then he gathers the tribes. He gathers the men. He gathers the, the, the veterans of the shield wall. He says, let's go and deal with this guy. And they go up, and they surprise attack, and they wipe out the Ammonites. And Saul is a champion. Saul is a hero. Saul's name is praised. And they reconfirm him as the king of Israel. They're like, yes, this is what we wanted. We wanted a king. And this is what they got. And Saul had victory early on. He was 30 years old when he became king of Israel. And he was their champion. He was their Goliath, so to speak. Both had great starts. Both had incredible beginnings. Both had successes. But as we take a closer look, at the events after success, we see something happening to Saul. I don't know what it is about, is about success, but success fools the best of us. When we get successful, something happens that we start to believe our own music. We start to believe our own thoughts. And we, and we drift away from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And we, and we become essentially the God of our lives. Success fools the best of us. And so this is a great lesson 
Because when you face your Goliath, you want to face him at your best. And so, the story of Saul. There's an account here in 1 Samuel 13, a few years after. It says in verse 11, it says, When I saw the men scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought... Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the commands the Lord your God gave you. You know, to give you a little background in this passage, Samuel is a prophet, but Samuel also was a priest because he grew up in the house of Eli because his mom, Hannah, prayed for his son, got one, and she she basically donated him to the, to the priesthood, and he grew up. But then he, but he actually changed, God changed his role from a priest to a prophet. But he was unique because he could still do the priestly duties. And back then, kings were kings. They enforced God's law, but they were not allowed to give sacrifices because that was the priest's job. And so when Saul realized that the Philistines were, were getting together and strategizing and Samuel didn't come, he panicked. You ever freak out? You know, sometimes when, you're, when I was, when, I was my, when my kids were a little younger, if I couldn't find him for 30 seconds, I'd freak out. I wouldn't drop the prayer. Go, Lord God Almighty. I'm like, where well, have you seen my son? Have you seen my son? Get out of the way. Pfft, knocking kids over. Where's Jaden? You freak out. And Samuel uh, and Saul panics. And we take a look at this passage. And he breaks God's law. Remember, the difference between David and Saul was David loved the law. David allowed the law to break him. Saul has success, and then he breaks the law to be practical because he thought. It's a smart tactical move. Don't let your enemy assemble too strongly and their strategy implemented. You want to get them on their heels. It makes sense. If you're military, it makes sense to keep them on the toes. we got to act now, swiftly at night, send the mission. But I, he forgot who is the true king of Israel, and that is God. A few years before this event, Samuel was actually doing a sacrifice to God, and the Philistines thought they were getting ready for war, and the Philistines started to attack the Israelites. And guess what happened after the burnt offering was offered? God thundered, as the Bible says, thundered against the Philistines, and they were routed by the Israelites. God won the battle. So in Samuel's mind, he's going, what are you doing? This makes no sense. You have done a foolish thing. You've taken your eyes and your hope and your trust. You have failed to take God at his word. And there, there was a sentence that describes Saul. It's where he fails. This is what we fail at times. We fail to take God at his word. When he says it, he says it. And when he says it, he means it. But sometimes we get practical. No, 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 it's just a better strategy. And we start to think, why well, it worked before. It can work again. 
Can you imagine Saul, was Saul saying to himself, where's Samuel? What? Where is he? He's late. Most Christians are late. He's late. Why are you late? Church starting. Where's God? Where's God? I, wait, I got to do something. You know, years later, another king tries to do the same thing. His name was King Uzziah. He goes into the temple and says, I'm going to do it myself. I don't like any of you guys. I'm going to do it. He does it. And poof, leprosy shows up on his forehead. He goes, can I put it down? Is it, God says, too late. That ain't going away. Because there was a delineation of the two. You know, Saul began to put logic into action and not faith into action. Saul had a moment here to get into the practice of putting his trust in God. You know, David, when he saved the bear, he said, man, the, the Lord rescued me. I'm good, but I'm not that good. The Lord rescued me. When I fought the lion, the Lord rescued me, and the Lord will rescue me from Goliath. See that attitude? Saul panics, doesn't put his trust in God, doesn't put his trust in the process. And this is the beginning of the faithlessness that we begin to see in Saul. Because remember, David loved the law. And Saul was trying to change the law. In the, in the era of kings, kings like to be the law, and they like to change the law. And here's an example of Saul trying to change the law. But Samuel wouldn't let him. And good friends don't let you become the law. That's the cool thing about being a Christian. And in verse 13, Samuel's reply is, you've done a foolish thing. It was foolish to do that. You're the king. You have a function. I'm a priest. I have a function. You know, what I love about our church, two churches coming together, is there, there's been an incredible process of communicating, of talking, of sharing, of just really getting together. And I think God has blessed it. And God is blessing it. And they had a process. They had a priest. They had a king. But the king was starting not to take God at his word. And that's the biggest contrast we see. As we look at the next scripture, it says here, in a, few, a few years later, and so Samuel rebukes him and says, hey, you're no, you're, you're, when you die, it's, it's over. You know, your, your house will not continue to be the king. It's not going to get passed to your children. It's over. I mean, Samuel really rebukes him. It's, it's over. And so a few years later, Samuel tells Saul, okay, God has another mission for you. Go and fight the Amalekites. Why, you may ask? Go fight them out of the blue. Because God remembered when the Amalekites raided Israel, when they were coming out of slavery, they're like, we're free. I think we're free. Where's the water? The Amalekites were raiding them and killing them. They didn't know how to fight. They were slaves. 
You ever see a scared dog? And you go, hey, and they hurt. They didn't know. They didn't know. Like, whoa! And the Amalekites just bullied them and bullied them when they were coming out of coming out of Egypt. And God goes, "Don't worry, I'll take note of that." And so God comes full circle and says, "Now that we're men of war, now that we have a king, now you're ready for a fight. Go and deal with them." And He does. He says, "Don't take their plunder. Kill their king. Just get rid of them." Very clear direction. And so Samuel comes back from the battle, or Saul comes back from the battle, and he sees Samuel, and he brings back the plunder of, of, of their supplies and resources, and the, the men have enriched themselves, and he also brings back their king, Agag. And, he, and, he, and, and, and you, can, you can just see, go and destroy them, don't bring anything back, and he comes back with the sheep, the cattle, the plunder, and their king. Almost as if he's showing Samuel, look what we've done. Look what my men have done. Look what I have done. Don't we have God's favor? Because in, in a military mind, that's what you do. You plunder their things. You take their things, and you, and you capture their king to strike fear into the hearts of other nations. That's what you do. That's effective. Why do you think terrorism is effective? You blow people on a bus, you don't want to ride the bus. It's effective. But it wasn't what God said to do. Just because something is effective doesn't mean it's what God tells us to do. And that's where success can confuse the best of us. And so Samuel sees Saul. And then Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. Because Samuel rebukes him. I mean, Samuel, Samuel's like, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you plunder these people? Why did you do evil in the eyes of the Lord? He calls it evil. And then Samuel goes, Saul goes, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. You ever have those moments where you give in? It's a major shift. Because Saul began to believe that the men were the source of his victory. The horses in the stable keep them happy and will win. And it shifted from God to men. God is the one who brings victory. God is the one. You can try every parenting strategy you want. And some will work and some will fail. And you'll think, because I was successful, this is the strategy. No, 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 no. The older my kids get, the more I realize, I don't know what I'm doing. I shouldn't do parenting class. I should never do a parenting class. What am I doing? Have someone, some out of our church come in and do a parenting class, because I want to learn how to be a parent. It's a major shift. Paul, I mean, Saul, like, you get the sense he's almost losing his mind. I mean, he just got off the, the other incident, got rebuked, and then he has another chance, and it's almost like he's, almost like he's losing his mind. You know, when I was nine years old, I lost my mind. I literally, now that I look back, I'm 45, I look back going, I had lost my, at the moment, I didn't think I lost my, in the moment, I thought I was having fun. 
At nine years old, I went down, my, down two blocks down to my friend, went to his house to go play. And I just came back from my baseball game. He came over. Yeah, back then, they come over. They don't, you know, they come to your house, knock on the door, and you leave, and you close the door, and you walk out. That's how, that was Instagram back then. That was Instagram. That's how we did it. And so he walked down to his house, played there. His mom was having a party. There was lots of cars there. And I got, I was like, man, you want to play Starsky and Hutch? You know, it's not an app. It's actually a TV show back in the 70s. It's called Starsky and Hutch. I call him Starsky because I can never say his name right. And he was this dark little man with black hair. And Hutch was the tall, blonde guy. That was my friend. And Starsky and Hutch, if you ever watched, if you ever YouTube it, they jump on cars, man. They're like two detectives. They're jumping on cars sliding. We were, we were too small to slide over the hood. So we got on top of the cars, and we just ran on top of the cars. And we're shooting, and we're running up and down the cars. We're smashing hoods. We're smashing roofs. We're, we're scratching the paint off the car. And we're having so much fun. It's glorious. And we're like, yes. And we're shooting, and we're pretending to catch bad guys. And we're grabbing the bad guys, and we're slamming them on the hood, and we're falling on the hood. Boom! Boom! And we're denting it. We're running on it. Destroying these cars. <laughs> like I said, looking back, I lost my mind. In the moment, it was glorious. In the moment, it was glory. And then I hear the creak of, a, of an old wooden screen door. You hear the creak. And you hear this woman's voice screeching, What are you doing? And we turn and I look, and it's my friend's mother. And I still had no, what's the, what, what do you mean? What We're playing Starsky and Hutch. Still didn't dawn on me. And she comes out like the prophet Samuel. And behind her are parents coming out going, oh, my days. Their cars are smashed. Literally, roofs smashed in. The hood smashed in. We were jumping on it. And they go, they just, they're just, their hands are up their eyes going, what have you done? She says, where's your father? He's at home. What's your phone number? I give him my name. She calls my dad. Two blocks away. And my dad took like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to get there. I'm like, he should have got here in like a minute. Like, you know, he gets in his car, drives over, only two blocks away. But my dad walked. Because when the prophet Samuel was in the spirit, it was in my father. He said, I'm going to walk. That walk probably saved my life. I'm so glad he walked. He had time to process and think, what am I going to do? And when I saw my dad, He's you know, changing paperwork with the people. I'm going, I don't know what that is. But maybe they're swapping phone numbers. I don't know what they were doing. Now they're doing insurance. But back then I was like, I don't know what's going on. And after they get done, I see my friend in the background, his mother and him. This is going to sound crazy, but we too, if you grew up in my era, you too grew up in a violent time. There, his, his mother got a telephone cord and spanked him right there in public in front of all the guests and in front of me. And you can hear the whipping of the, the wind cutting through the cord. And it was intense. And I was like, oh my. That's when I realized I have gone mad. I have gone mad. I, re I realized at that moment because I still didn't grasp the severity of it. And then my dad comes to me and says, I want you to walk in front of me. 
do not run. You stay in front and you walk. All the direction I got. Turn around, I started walking. I took three steps and I felt the blistering pain of his plastic coated leather belt. Every fifth step was a lash. All the way home, in public, in front of my neighborhood crush, Rhonda. Everyone saw it. There come moments, there come moments in your life when you lose your mind. And you need men like Samuel to readjust the way you're thinking. Samuel says, no, you were foolish, you did evil. And Samuel goes, now the, your kingdom is going to be ripped from your hands. It's going to be taken from you. And that is the storyline of the story of David, because he's the second king. And he's going to take over the kingship, and Saul doesn't want to give it up. Because he started to believe he was the king of kings. The difference between Saul and David was the way they unpacked their emotions and realness with God. You start to see the cracks in Saul's psychological thinking. He's a practical man. He's a pragmatist. David is faithful and trusting, even when it's scary. And so when Saul ends up meeting Goliath. He's had these two situations that we read about. And here's his third situation where Goliath is defying the armies of Israel. He says, give me a man to fight us. And everyone knows that man should be Saul. Everyone knows that you're our Goliath. You're our champion. Why aren't you out there? Because he is in his tent. And you wonder why he's dismayed and terrified. Because he has been in the habits. He has grown comfortable with making himself the king and not acknowledging and obeying the true king. Goliath was a man killer. He was a veteran of the shield wall. Nine and a half feet tall. Armor. He had a killing spear. Ugh. And he was scarred from battle. Goliaths are absolutely scary. A year and a half ago, I had to face my Goliath. My Goliath came out of the land of change, from the hill country of growth and from the tribe of listening. Because I had failed to listen. You start believing your own ways is the right way. And you shut out the voices that are trying to help you. And I had shut out voices. See, when you start losing sight, you're the last one to know. You're the last one to know. That's why it's important to listen. But thank goodness I had people that would tell me things and listen. And Joel and Ed sat me down and says, it's time to listen. And the Goliath of listening is incredibly painful. 
I can't tell you how painful it is. Imagine somebody goes, hey, can I talk to you because i got some feelings. You're like, no, no, no. I mean, just try it. Try it for a week. Been doing it for a year and a half. Just give it a shot. It has been the most painful process of my Christian life. Painful, tear-jerking, can't sleep at night, waking up in cold sweats. That's what you feel when you, when you see Goliath. It's huge. But every morning, I would see Karen leave at 5 in the a.m., the sun got up and she went to go spend time with God I'm like where, where are you going oh yeah that's right I gotta deal with what's in my heart I gotta tell God and unpack my feelings to God just like David did to the Psalms I'm so glad I'm so glad that I got to face a Goliath I'm so happy. Looking back, I'm like, wow, that was incredible. It wasn't a quick battle. It's, a, it's, still a, it's always a battle. You're always fighting. And Saul was paralyzed with fear. I get that. And he got in the habit of trusting himself. I get that too. And so when you start doing that, you don't see things clearly. In fact, you just get scared. And I'm so glad I listened. I'm going to tell you a story about listening. It saved my life. That there is found at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, as they say. It is Tower of Victory. And you're going to go up there, and you're going to climb there, and you're going to rappel down that 10-story wall, and you're going to live and tell about it. Now, he's talking to guys who haven't been above one story. You know, in the bottom of that picture... Those are privates. Those aren't professional instructional people who've gone to class and learned and got certifications. They're privates. They're like me. And their job was, if he's fallen, just go ahead and step back. <laughs> that was their direction. Bullet, just step back and it's all you got to do, soldier. And I'm watching guys tumble and the guys are stepping back and I'm going, I'm not sure if I trust these guys. So you have to walk up there. It's, 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 it's supposed to build confidence in the soldier. Nothing, build nothing but fear in me. So you had to climb that big old ladder. You climb up there. It's 10 stories. And you're up there, and, they, and the drill starts up there. He's giving you the whole, you know, repelling gear. I don't know what this was. Never seen it in my life. And apparently you have to grab, the rope goes around this little, this little, this little hook, and you have to kind of, with your own, let go and grab the strength of your hands. You have to, like, lean back and go perpendicular to the wall where you're like this. I had to lean back this way, this way. And I'm there, and the drill sergeant, all right, he goes, okay, soldier, you're next. And I'm, I'm standing on the wall, and then 10 stories down is some guy that's supposed to save me. And I'm looking at the drill sergeant, and I said, he goes, go. And I'm like, no. I can't do it. And the drill sergeant actually saved my life. He says, he leaned over and says, I mean, he was, I mean, he literally was leaning over, like there's 10 stories, and he leaned over, and he goes, boy, you better get down. <laughs> and I went like this, Whoo! 
I don't know what came up. I let go, and I just went back, and I held, and I go, hey, this ain't so bad. And I rappelled down the wall. The reason why he saved my life was if I hadn't gone down that, that victory tower, my platoon mates would have ransacked me that evening. <laughs> How do I know this? Because we did it to other soldiers. You don't let your platoon down. It was a lesson in listening. It was a lesson in trusting. And God gives us clear direction. Do this. And our, our emotional reaction is, no, I'm scared. Do it. I'm so grateful for that drill sergeant. I'm so thankful for, for my friend Joe Collins, my friend Lynette Collins who were there to encourage me to listen. You're going to be great. Joe is like the most encouraging person when you feel like you're in hell. <laughs> you're doing great, man. I was like, you're doing great. Keep it up. You're doing great. And every time I think it was over, it was more. You're doing great. You're doing great. And it's all you tell me. You're doing great. Keep it up. You're doing great. And man, I needed those words. I needed them so much. Because when, when people believe in you, you climb mountains for them. What's your Goliath? What land is he from? Is he from the land of negative? Can never see things good. There's no the church is always doing bad. Or maybe he's from the land of comfort. That's a Goliath. I don't want to change. It's too comfortable. But they all hail from the tribe of change. You have to face your Goliath too. You got to face it. And you face it with faith. Not with practicals. Faith. 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 Saul was a different man at this point. He no longer was the king. He no longer responded, responded to the battle call. And what we see, I realize in Saul, is that when you depend on your flesh for strength, you will lose spiritual battles. And if you could only took, could have took God at his word, because when you take God at your word, you see clearly, you act confidently, and you walk humbly. Let's go out this, this morning and let's do just that. Thank you. We'll see you next week.